Lord, we love you. Oh, I love you, Lord. God, I pray, would you give us clarity? Speak to us this morning. Oh, we want to hear from the Holy Spirit. So I pray, Lord, would you anoint the word? Would you anoint the scripture? Anoint truths derived from the scripture. Speak to us. I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of your son. How we'd see God as God is. Not in some form that we've painted to be in our minds. Lord, we love you. Oh, love you, Jesus. Come, release light to us, I ask. Jesus' name, amen. Okay, turn with me in your Bible to Isaiah 55. I'm going to take this morning and just sort of continue along the stream of thought that I was on last week. We kind of got a little interrupted by the Lord, and that's great. I love when that happens. So last week, we kind of just gave current thoughts, gave thoughts on the current move of the Spirit. And this week, I just want to talk about marks, distinguishing marks of a move of the Spirit. And I'm going to base much of my comments this morning from uh, an address that Jonathan Edwards, some of you will recognize that name, Jonathan Edwards, who was, uh, he became the, the president of Princeton University, but he was the chief figure in the first great awakening in uh, the United States in the Northeast, and uh, he was in Northampton, Massachusetts, and in 1733 and 17 through 1735, and then again in 1740 and 41 and, and on, he hosted uh, a powerful move of the Spirit of God uh, in his church, but it also spread throughout the community and it actually swept the, the northeast corridor and the nation. And, uh, and the flames of it leapt uh, in different places across the ocean in Europe. And, um, and so the First Great Awakening is a, a, a serious cornerstone of, of spiritual history uh, for our nation, but also for church history. And uh, Edwards was the principal voice. Many think of Edwards as uh, the greatest um, Christian scholar, but also um, one that was a, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the greatest Bibleist who was also a scholar. Just a brilliant mind, great thinker. Obviously, if you're going to be the president of uh, Princeton, you got to be kind of smart. Amen. And so uh, I, wanna, I want to try to give a little bit of context and thought, and, and I'm using Edwards. Uh, it was a talk that he gave at Yale University at a commencement address in 1741. I'm using it. It's called Distinguishing Marks of a Move of the Holy Spirit. I'm using that as my, as my backdrop. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work through a portion of his address. It's a pamphlet that was also published off of that address that he gave, but it's, I've found it over the years to be so helpful. I've been one that's studied revival and prayed and contended for revival and for a move of the Spirit for much of my Christian life. And it seems like whenever God moves, you get, you get the array. You get some people who are glad, some people who are mad, some people who are sad, some people who are confused. And it doesn't have to be that way, but you'll see it. That's how it was in the scripture. When on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, 
Some were uh, confused and perplexed. Some wondered. Some mocked. Some were filled. But, you know, you have the 3,000 that, that get saved. You have the 120 that get filled, 3,000 get saved. But, there, beloved, there was a lot more than 3,000 people there on the day of Pentecost that day. So there's a whole other group that stood by and rejected it, didn't like it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so generally when the Holy Spirit moves, you have an array of responses. And, uh, and so I want to comment into that, and I want to speak into it for our community, but also for those that would listen uh, by podcast, because I think this is going to be helpful uh, for what we're experiencing right now, but also in days ahead. Now before I get specifically into Edward's uh, into, into the, the distinguishing marks, and I'm going to comment through his thoughts. I want to uh, turn to Isaiah 55. I'm going to look at this for a minute. I want to, I want to admonish us and speak to us uh, along these lines for just a moment. So Isaiah 55, I love this chapter. Isaiah 55 is, uh, I mean, in some ways it's the, the tip of, of it's, it's the pinnacle for Isaiah's devotional language. It's just so rich with devotional language. Do you love the Bible? I mean, just love the Bible. It's better than ESPN and CNN. It's better than Fox News or whatever internet page you're reading. It's better than any novel. I mean, it's just rich. It's alive. Oh, I love the scripture. It's alive. Oh. I just feel the Lord. I just feel so good. Amen. (laughs) Here we go. Isaiah 55. So it's this highly devotional language from the prophet. And he says this in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now, right there in that uh, sentence, there is the implication that there are times that the Lord is more near than at other times. And I believe that's what he's addressing. There are times when God draws near. And when God draws near, that's the, the admonition to, to us is to draw near to God. When he comes close The human response, the right human response is to call upon him while he is near. To seek him while he can be found. There's times where God um, hides himself. He's always with us, but there's times when he veils himself. And then there's times when he manifests himself. And when he's in manifestation in your midst. I mean... Do you know, think about it, have you ever studied church history, ever read? Do you know how many centuries went by without there being any obvious marks of the moving of the Spirit of God? I mean, read through the history books and you'll see, I mean, there's times where where they go, I mean, centuries, I mean, leading up to the... uh, Reformation. There are centuries where the move of the Spirit, it's just in just small little pockets. And then you read, and there's many things that happen um, even through the Reformation and the subsequent generations, but you know, you don't see the power of the Holy Spirit in manifestation. You don't see healings. 
You don't see deliverance. You see great proclamation and preaching and you see salvation, which is the greatest miracle, but you don't actually see power on display. Do you, and think about it. 2,000 years of church history. How rare is it? I mean, it's so rare if you study the history books where God moves in a demonstrative way among his people. It's just, there are seasons of visitation. There's pockets of outpouring. And I tell you, that the, the challenge for the people of God is that in those seasons of outpouring, to keep their hearts alive in that move of the Spirit, because we are so accustomed to creating uh, 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 systems and, and building, um, you know, I call it building a tabernacle. You build a tabernacle to, to celebrate what's happened, and you don't end up continuing to flow and move with the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you study revival history, you'll find this, that so often those that were the uh, at the tip of the arrow of the current move of God, when the next move of God came, they became the ones who were the critics of the next move of the Spirit. And I thought, oh, we are so, I mean, we are so prone to, you know, when God does something, we, we build a monument to it, and we, it's like we put our feet in cement, and we just stick with our way. And you can see it in our denominational structures today. Our denominational structures are basically, they're locked into a move of the spirit that happened. And then the, the people didn't move past that. And so you end up with uh, these denominations. And bless them, I love all the denominations that love Jesus. But what you'll see is they're based out of different times the Lord moved in history. And, and that's their celebrated uh, time or their celebrated individual. And we actually have denominations named after people. How weird would that be? The, think about this. The guy's with Jesus. He's right now with Jesus. I'm thinking of a name, but I won't say. The, the guy's with Jesus right now. He's gone to be with the Lord. And there's all sorts of people running around saying they are after that man's name. Using that man's name as their title. And the guy's in the presence of Jesus. Do you think the guy likes that? He's with Jesus going, oh my gosh. I am like so sorry. I so didn't mean for them to use my name. Paul had a lot of good things to say about that. He said, hey, let's not be called by Paul or Apollos or anyone else. Let's be called by the name of Christ. So, a little bit scattered, but that's okay. Verse 6 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. It is such a rare and precious thing for the Lord to pour out his spirit among a people. It's such a rare and precious thing. And when that's happening, you, you press pause on your life. You press pause and you go and say, God, whatever you're doing, I want it and I want a lot of it. I want more of what you're doing. I want to be in the center of the target. Here I am I'm the target, Lord, come. And uh, it's amazing to me because even in, I mean, even in spirit-filled environments, you'll have the same responses that happened on the day of Pentecost. Some are confused, some are perplexed, some draw back, some get in. And uh, I don't know about you, but when I wasn't saved, I went real hard and fast after the devil. 
I was really a, I mean, just all for the enemy. And I got saved. And I, I mean, it was just obvious to me that once I got saved, I said, okay, I am going to go full speed for Jesus. Anything that the Lord will do, I will say yes and I'll say yes over and over and over. And I want to continually to have that heart that's pliable and malleable. And the Lord, I mean, I, I see my own tendency to, to lock into a certain way to do things. And the Lord, he'll continue to, to form and mold and shift and, 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 and you know, move you to agree with the different variations of the move of his spirit. And I, uh, I definitely don't want to be the one that camps out on the old thing, not able to receive the new thing. And so my admonition is from verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. And look at verse 8. Because my thoughts, they're not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. Isn't it interesting that verse 8 is actually in the context of verse 6? Drawing near of the Lord doesn't come in the package that you thought it would come It doesn't come in the package or in the way that you thought it would happen. He goes, I don't do the way you do. I don't think the way you think. Everything I do is different than you. And I am so in touch with that right now. Because I'm like, Lord, why don't you just show up like in a thousand foot vision that the whole city of Atlanta can see and they'll all bow down to you. (laughs) That would be really easy. And he goes, yeah, but I like partnership with people. And I actually work through human vessels. And my bride, I want her to work with me. And I want to work through her and the manifestation of my spirit. He goes, and I like to work through gospel proclamation. And I like to work through something called the laying on of hands. He, I mean, he sets the laying on of hands up as an ordinance so that people minister the power of the spirit one person to another. I mean, that's not how I would do it. I would do the lightning blast from heaven. That would be way easier. He does things like, you know, laying on of hands. And he does things like communion. Think about that for a minute. He goes, you eat a little bread. You drink a little cup of of wine or juice. And you go, I'm remembering the cross. Why don't you just show up with a vision and show us what the cross looked like? He goes, no. I gave you imagination. I gave you a mind. I want you to seek me. And so they're in that sacrament that we find the Lord in it. I love communion. I love setting my mind on the cross and through the bread and the cup, experiencing the Lord. He doesn't do the way I do. I would never do the cup and the bread. It makes no sense. But he does it, and it's powerful. There's all sorts of things he does that are not what we would do we, here's, the, here's where we err. We tend to think that we know what God's doing and that we would do it just like this, and this is God. We tend to think that we know the way God does, and God goes, no, no, no. Psalm 115.3, I'm in heaven, I do what I please. And he goes, and my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts, and I do it differently than you do it. And so in the context of God drawing near, he says, let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man turn. This is a returning. This is a repentance. This is a revival. God will have compassion. And he goes, and the way I do it, verse 8, it's not the way you would do it. He goes, I don't think the way you think. I don't do the way you do. And he goes this way. 
Verse 9, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That's far. He's not actually giving us a literal distance. He's saying it's exceedingly different. So when I read that, I go, okay, here's what I got to do. I just have to say, Lord, I don't know. There's much I don't know. But you know, and I'm saying yes to you. There's much I don't understand. There's much I think. There's many things that I've figured out in my mind that are not even right. There's much that I conceive that's not really the way you do, but you do differently. So, as high as, your thought, as, high as the heavens are above the earth, so higher your thoughts above my thoughts. So God, whatever it is that you want to do, I want you to conform my mind to the way you think and the way, the way you do. Your ways. Teach me your ways, O oh Lord. And I'm, I pray that almost daily. Give me, a, give me a, an undivided heart that I might fear you and teach me your ways, O oh Lord. I want to know your ways. That was the difference between the children of Israel and Moses. Moses knew the ways of the Lord. The children of Israel only knew his acts. They only knew the signs and wonders, but no, Moses knew the ways of the Lord, the scripture says. It's a major difference. So then look at verse 10. In this context of the Lord drawing near, of the wicked repenting, of him doing it his own way, in verse 10, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it barren sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. I'm reading in the NAS, I believe. So there it is, that snow picture. And I just thought that was so unusual and interesting. I mean, we've had this happen before. I remember one time I preached a message on the winds of the Spirit. Some of you all remember that. And for some reason that day it was gusting like crazy outside. I mean, even while I was preaching it, you could hear the wind beating against the building. And then I remember one time I was talking about revival and the rain. And I remember right in the middle of the message, it began to rain so, I mean, it just downpoured so bad that it was like the rain beating the roof in this building was louder than the, what the microphone amplification. They had to turn me up so I could overcome the rain. And uh, one of the brothers went and got a jar and they put it in the lobby. The rain was going sideways into the building and he filled a jar up about a third of the way with the rain that was coming in from the outside. I thought that was as cool as could be. And so then here we are on our anniversary, 212, and the Lord releases snow. You wouldn't understand it, but for me, this has been a major, important cluster of verses that I've loved and always thought about that snow, that picture of snow as a picture of the cleansing and the revival that God wants to release. And so for that snow to come on our on our four-year anniversary on 212. You don't have to believe it. I do. I'm so, I tell you what, we battle with unbelief so bad. We do. I, I battle with it in my own mind. I can't believe how unbelieving I am. I can't believe how unbelieving I am. 
I doubt my unbelief. But I really, I mean, there's so many things that in the back of my mind, you hear that little barking, demonic, that's not real, that God's not God. Oh, the snow came, whatever, you're just weird. No, I think God likes me. And I think he stopped our whole city. We've got like one snowplow in the whole city. He stopped our whole city to blanket it in beautiful snow. Wasn't it beautiful? Whoa, it was beautiful. I mean, it just draped the trees and the grass. It was just lovely. Speaking of the cleansing of the power of the word and agreement with the spirit and the move of God that he's going to release. And we are in a season of outpouring. And oh, I love the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing better. There's, there's not a better thing on the earth. I sought so many things before I knew the Lord. Nothing touches the soul like the Spirit of God. Oh, there's nothing. There's no greater drawer of the human heart. I, uh, I was so pleased last week. This young girl walks in our building. I mean, the place is going, I mean, let's just be honest. It's going bananas. I mean, people are dancing and shouting and laughing and falling and crying and shaking. And all this stuff is happening. The worship team is going. This little girl walks in the building. She doesn't know the Lord. She walks in and instantly, boom, she begins to weep. Just crying. She said, these people are so joyful. Something's happening. What do I need to do? How do I get this? Her friend took her aside and said, you need to know Jesus. You need to repent of your sin and you need to receive Jesus. And that girl got born again on the spot. She walks in and says, what must I do to be saved? She gets born again on the spot just because the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I go, you know, there's that whole line of thought is like you can't put the Holy Spirit on display because it'll freak people out well of course people get freaked out if God comes I don't think the point is not to freak people out I, I want God to come if God shows up I'll freak out my goal isn't to not freak people out people pay to get freaked out they go to scary movies to get freaked out they go to psychics to get freaked out. They go to amusement parks and ride the scariest ride. Why? To get freaked out. They jump out of airplanes. People. To get freaked out. But don't let God freak them out. Put God in the closet. Put God in a box. And don't let the Holy Spirit move. What is that? It's a bunch of religious trash. Woo, felt that. It was good. It is. And when the Lord moves, that's the greatest drawer of the human heart. Every heart is made to experience the thrill of God. The thrill of God. And what have we done? We've cookie cut it, put it in a nice little white box, something real palatable. Not too spicy, not too sweet, nice and bland. Served it up and said, here's God. It's religion. He goes, would you just agree with Isaiah 55? Because I don't do it the way you do it. I don't clean it up and make it tidy for everybody. 
He goes, I'm not worried about offending people. Just look at Jesus. He goes, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Did you not know they're offended? He goes, hey, what about you guys? Y'all offended too? He goes, man, we don't have anywhere else to go except for you, Jesus. He goes, we kind of left our businesses. The Lord wasn't ever worried about, you know, he, he wasn't trying to be offensive for offensive sake, but he was never worried about with, with people liked it or didn't like it. And all that we would all get delivered from the fear of man. We'd all get delivered from the fear of man. Because the gauge is not whether or not people like it. Some will, some won't. That's what happens. Some want God. Some are freaked out by God. Some will reject the Lord. That's what happens. He doesn't do it the way we do it, beloved. But I know this. He admonishes us. When he's moving, when he's moving, get in it. Get in it. I love that. Oh, I love that. So let me move into Edwards for a few moments. In Edwards' address, he breaks it down into three sections. And if you wanted to read it in its entirety, you can just Google Jonathan Edwards' distinguishing marks and you'll find the whole thing on the internet. And I would encourage you, I mean, if, if you like to read 17th century 18th century language, you have to kind of muddle through it because the language is long run-on sentences and just a little bit hard to, to get. But it's worthwhile. It's a worthwhile read. And so uh, three sections. The first section is what, as evident, uh, what Edwards calls negative reasons. And basically in this section, he says, these are things that you can't say are a good judge of whether something is of the Holy Spirit. You can't use these as judges of the Holy Spirit. The second section is what he calls positive reasons. And the positive reasons are things that you do use to judge whether something's of the Holy Spirit. And then the third section, he says, it's, and it's basically the third section is a defense of the great awakening and the testimony of what he's experienced and seen there in, uh, in, in the first great awakening, the move of the Holy Spirit. I was, when I first started studying revival history, I was interested to find out this. The current things you see in revival moves and the outpouring of the Spirit, you see them throughout church history. It's really interesting. I mean, all the way, first great awakening, you see it all the way back. We've got scriptural things, but then you see it throughout church history that when the Holy Spirit's poured out, virtually all the same manifestations show up. You have people weeping. You have people falling under the power of the Spirit where they can't retain strength. You have people laughing. Uh, you have people shaking and trembling and jerking. That's recorded throughout church history in multiple, multiple different spheres. And so these are the things that Edwards had happening in his meetings. And he's a good Presbyterian, smart theologian, spoke in a monotone voice when he preached. They, I mean, they were not given to excesses, not even emotional excesses, for it was thought in those days that if it was emotional, it wasn't God. He was re reformed in his theology, had a very high view of the sovereignty of God. And so when the power of God hits uh, and, and begins to release all these varied manifestations of people crying out, shrieking in church, that was unheard of. 
And so they had both ends of the spectrum. Sometimes they'd have people screaming and wailing for mercy. And on the other end, they'd have people absolutely taken up what they would call in raptures of delight. I mean, just experiencing the joy of the Lord and laughing and, and, and alive in the spirit of God. They had all the extremes. People groaning and wailing and, and uh, falling without strength. That's what they call it. They just lose strength and fall, sometimes in raptures and ecstasies, sometimes in conviction. Oh, I love that idea. The conviction of God comes upon the gathering, and the people are so gripped with conviction, they lose strength and fall under the power of God. <laughs> That's so cool. So I want to just take a moment and just work a little bit through what Edward said in this first section of things you can't use as judges or as reasons why a move is not the Holy Spirit. The first point, you can't say it's not the Holy Spirit because it's unusual or has never been seen before. Because you can't say it's not the Holy Spirit because a work is either unusual or never seen before. Beloved, I think that's the number one reason why people get turned off when they see God doing what he does. They go, this is weird. I've never seen that before. Must not be God. Well, Edwards makes the point, and he says, you can't say that it's not God just because it's not in your experience. And then he goes and explains different things in the scripture. Principally, he talks about the day of Pentecost. Now think about this. You have a gathering at Pentecost of Jews and proselytes from all sorts of different regions and countries, hundreds of different dialects probably being spoken. The power of God hits 120 believers in Jesus in this upper room. The city hears the sound of a rushing mighty wind those guys, uh, the 120, they come out in the streets and they are proclaiming in at least 17 different languages. Now, that would be, for the person coming to Pentecost, it might not be unusual to hear their language being proclaimed because there's people from all over with all sorts of different languages. But here they come uh, out of this uh, upper room meeting, the, the people heard the sound, so they gathered to see what was going on. These, these men come out proclaiming the wondrous works of God in these foreign languages that they don't know. That, that would be strange enough, but there's some sort of effect upon the men that the standers by, the bystanders, they think they're drunk. They're looking. Now, you wouldn't just think somebody was drunk because they're speaking in another language. If some person came up to me, if I was, you know, uh, at a restaurant and people spoke Spanish in the restaurant and the guy came up to me speaking Spanish, I wouldn't just go, he's got to be drunk speaking Spanish like that. that. That wouldn't, if you're at a conference, an international conference, people from all over the nations and somebody comes up to you at that conference and starts speaking in another language, you would not instantly assume that they're drunk. Instead, these guys come out and they are speaking in other languages or speaking in tongues and there's some sort of effect upon them that the bystanders go, these guys are drunk, like real drunk. And it's, it's early in the morning and what's going on? 
And I love Peter. He stands up with boldness, full of the Holy Spirit and boldness. And he says, they are not drunk in the way you think, or not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 a.m. He goes, they haven't had enough time. It's just, that's what he says. It's only 9 a.m. They have enough time to get drunk. That's why he quotes the time. Because they're full of the Holy Spirit. And this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now at that point in time, a bunch of people could have said, but we've never seen it before. We've never seen people looking drunk and speaking in other languages. That can't be God. I guarantee you a bunch of people thought that. But obviously God doesn't care if we've never seen it before. No, really, he doesn't care if you and I have never seen it before. I mean, there are all sorts of things that God can do. Remember his ways? They're not our ways. His thoughts are not, he doesn't even think the way we think. He goes, I will take you and I will do all sorts of unique things with you. I'm convinced of this. God is raising up even a new version of leadership, a new style of leader. And it's called leaders that lean rather than strut. And he's turning us, I tell you, he's turning us into donkeys. I'll just use that term this week. He's turning us into donkeys just like the donkey that Jesus rode in on. And oh, to be that, I mean, what a, what a privileged donkey. Out of all the donkeys that ever lived. I mean, what an amazing, that, that's a great donkey. Like, I kind of mean that. Like, really? So Edwards, he says, you can't say because it's never been seen before that it's not of the Holy Spirit. He goes, because as long as it's not in opposition to the Scripture, God can do whatever he wants. God can do anything he wants. I love this. He said, this is a quote. He goes, the Holy Spirit is sovereign in his operation, and we know that he uses a great variety, and we cannot tell how great a variety he may use within the compass of the rules he is himself he himself is fixed, talking about the scripture. He says, we ought not limit God. This is, the, this is the phrase. We ought not limit God where God is not limited himself. That's the phrase. So then secondly in that area, he says this. And you gotta understand the times. Again, any kind of emotion, any kind of outburst at all would be considered like really just over the top. And so he says, the second point, he says, if there are people that are moved in an extraordinary way and their minds are greatly influenced, he says, that is not a proof that the work is not the Holy Spirit. In other words, if people experience emotions that, they, that are exuberant, if there's, if there's a, a great, uh, extraordinary way that their minds are influenced, he says, that's not a proof that it's not the Holy Spirit. So that's what the, the accusations were. They're saying, this thing is so exuberant, this can't be God. That was part of the attack against the Great Awakening. And he goes and he enumerates, he lists, he goes, if there's extraordinary conviction of sin, he goes, you can't say that that's not God. He goes, if people have an extraordinary view of divine things, you can't say that that's not God. He says, if people are extraordinarily moved in their emotions, either fear, sorrow, desire, love, or joy, you can't say that that's not God. He goes, if it happens to them suddenly, or if the move affects many young people, you can't say that's not God. I love that. I love the smart 
president of Princeton guy going down the logic of the issues with the full you know, uh, capsule of the scripture behind him saying there are no verses that say because people are extraordinarily convicted, it's not God. Because people are extraordinarily joyful, it's not God. And he nails it. He just goes down the list. He says, and if there are any other unusual circumstances as long as they don't infringe upon the scripture, just because they're unusual, you cannot say it's not God. So he goes, if the extraordinary and unusual degree of influence and power is in nature, agreeable to the marks of the Spirit given in scripture, it is an argument in favor of the work being a work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, if something radical is happening, so long as it's not uh, in opposition to the scripture, he goes, it's likely, it's it's an argument in favor of it being a work of the Holy Spirit. And then he made this, he just, I don't, it's just interesting how this all works. But he goes into this, in that section, that, under that point, he goes into this little paragraph or two, and he starts talking about the end time revival. He says, if these are the kind of manifestations we're seeing now, he goes, what kind of manifestations will we see at the end of the age when a nation will be born in a day? And he quotes Isaiah 66. And he says, It may be reasonably expected that the extraordinary manner of the work at that time will be of the same proportion as the extraordinary events and the glorious change that the state of the world will undergo, which God will bring to pass by the work of the Spirit. I tell you, I feel that. We, I don't think we've seen anything yet. I don't think we've seen anything yet. You know, in 1801, in the Cane Ridge Revival, it was the revival that birthed the Christian church and the brethren in Christ. Barton Stone was the chief, one of the chief uh, preachers. They said the power of God would hit women. You know, the women would wear their hair in buns. It'd be long hair, but they'd put it up in a bun on their head. They said the power of God would hit the women and they would begin to jerk with such ferocious jerks that the the bun would get completely shaken out and the hair, you could hear the hair snapping in the wind like a whip. That is intense. Shpa, shpa, I mean... I love that. Uh, You can't say it's not God just because it's unusual. And there's nothing against your head getting snapped back as long, I mean, you know, your hair's snapping in the wind. If God's shaking, who knows? Maybe just shaking the devil out of him. I don't know. Sounds good though. Edward says, he goes, I suppose that great end time revival will have even more profound manifestations because the work that God will do will be more profound. Now, he goes on and he says this, you can't judge a work as not being of the Holy Spirit because of the effects that it has on the bodies of men. No verses that say, if you see this happening to a person, that's not the Holy Spirit. So he says, such as tears, trembling, groans, loud outcries, agonies of body, or the failing of strength. You can't conclude that they're not the effects of the Holy Spirit 
simply because there's a manifestation on a person's body. And so a lot of people, they get turned off by the move of the Spirit because some person is shaking or something like this or groaning, and they think, well, I've never seen that, and that's unusual, that's happening to them. And Edwards says this, this is powerful. He preached this at Yale, think about this. He says, all objections from the effects on the body, let them be greater or less, seem to be exceedingly frivolous. They who argue thence proceed in the dark. They know not what ground they go upon, nor by what rule they judge. (laughs) Jonathan Edwards. I mean, he is, you got to understand, he's one of the leading reformed theologians wrote one of the the most strong um, uh, defenses of Reformed theology. I mean, just a a Bible scholar, historian, theologian. He says, if you are judging by what you see happening to a person, it's a frivolous judgment. That's intense. I was looking at... uh, Psalm 126. Let's just turn over there. I can remember my early days of being saved. I was uh, read a lot of Kenneth Hagin. Say what you will about the word of faith. I'll tell you, Dr. Hagin taught faith from the scripture and it's done much good and been a major blessing to many in the body of Christ. But uh, I remember being in a meeting, and he read this verse, and I remember just being young in the Lord. He reads this verse, he just read the verse, and people across the auditorium begin to laugh. I thought, that is weird. I just never seen anything like that. I thought, that's just the strangest thing. Just, he just read the verse, and I didn't know what it meant. I, I'd never studied it, but uh, just as he read the verse, people began to just be filled with laughter. All across this, the, the, the auditorium, I thought, that's the most bizarre how did that even work? And so here's, here's, here's the verse, Psalm 126. Verse one, it says, when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. So what's going on there? It's a psalm that was written about the exiles who had been in Babylon, who had undergone the the Babylonian siege and they'd seen Jerusalem destroyed. And now 50,000 of them are being released from Babylon. Babylon grants them uh, the ability to go home, back to Zion. And so they're making a trek back and this is what happens to them on the way back. I always pictured it very, it's a long walk across the desert. I mean, it's just days and days and days and miles and miles. And I always pictured it very just as rough sledding. But then you look at this verse and you go, wait a second. It says, when the Lord brought them back, they were like men who dreamed. Or you could say it this way, it was like they were in a dream state. They were, they were like in a dream state. Just like surreal. You know, these last few weekends, it feels like that to me. It's like a blur. Like three weeks are like a blur, and all I have to show for it are these testimonies of the power of God. It's beautiful. It's been a great time. 
Oh, I just, this is what we pray for, beloved. It's what we pray for. We pray for the inbreakings of God. And uh, I feel like that. I feel like one who's dreaming. I'm in a dream. And uh, especially when I feel the presence of the Lord on me so strong, I feel like I'm in a dream. It's like, is this, is this real? Like, is this really happening? I mean, is God, this is really God. We were like those who dreamed, it says. And then it says, our mouths were filled with laughter. Having your mouth filled with laughter doesn't sound like you just kind of giggled. Oh, this is so good. We're getting out of Babylon. <laughs> it sounds like they were so filled with the Holy Spirit, they're getting out of captivity. They're like in this dream state and the Holy Spirit comes on them and they're actually bubbling up with joy and laughter as they're experiencing their liberation from bondage. We were like those who dreamed and our mouths were filled with laughter. Oh, I love it. And our tongues with songs of joy. They weren't probably, you know, singing the stuff we sing and are gonna drink of the marriage wine in that day or whatever. But, They were experiencing the filling of joy, laughter in their mouths, songs of joy and exuberance, even so much so that the nations around them, the little nations around Jerusalem, they said, the nations, the Gentiles, the heathens looked at them and they said, Jehovah has moved on their behalf. He has done great things for them. I want to propose that one of the reasons the Lord fills his people with the Spirit and releases the manifestation of joy with laughter is so that the Gentiles, so that the unsaved will look at the people of God and go, how are you so happy? Just like the little girl that walked in here the other night and got born again. She walked in here and said, the Lord has done great things for them. And then they proclaimed back and they said, the Lord has done great things for us. And all that the people of God would be the ones that would answer back and say, the Lord has done great things with grateful hearts. Sometimes I fear that even myself, that I'm like the nine lepers. Don't say thanks. Get used to God. I said it last week, but when we get used to God, we only ever talk about what God used to do. So the Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. I just want to propose, if you're filled with joy, that's not just like a nice, peaceful sense of goodness. (laughs) Filled with joy. Like those who dreamed, filled with laughter. That's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to set the captives free. He wants to fill his people with his spirit to joy and joy overflowing, filled with laughter. That's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to make us a spectacle so that the unsaved would look at, them and go, look at us and go, what is going on with those Christians? Some will mock, some will be perplexed, perplexed some will be convicted and converted. But they will say the Lord has done great things. 
On with Edwards, we're coming to a close. He says, It's no argument that an operation on the minds of people is not the work of the Spirit of God, that it occasions a great deal of noise about religion. I love that one. Because the argument against them was, there's too much interest in God. Y'all are too interested in God, and everybody's interested in Jesus now, too much. You got to do other things. You got to have other interests. And I hear that one in our day. Man, you need some hobbies. You need some other focuses. Well, I think this. God is huge. He's big enough to captivate every facet of my interests. And oh, for a people that had a steady gaze on God. And that weren't steadily gazing on every other lover. Oh, that the people of God would finally give themselves an abandonment and fully over to the bridegroom Jesus. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what revival is? When we get rid of all the other attractions and all the other affections. Our hobbies lose interest. You know how I can tell when I'm dull in spirit? I like movies. When I'm dull, movies are way more interesting. TV and entertainment and movies and other attractions are way more interesting when I'm dull. But when my spirit is pricked, when my heart is hot, when there's fervency boiling up inside of me, when I feel the the gushings of heaven and, and the Holy Spirit is moving in me, I don't have those, they don't even have to try to make them go away. They're just not there. I don't know about Lost 24. I don't know about the Grammys. Somebody told me the Olympics are happening right now. I didn't, right? The Olympics are on. I didn't even know. They said said something tragic happened to the Olympics and I said, we're in the Olympics? It's no argument that it's not the Spirit of God if people get solely focused on the Lord. So good. Here's what Edward said. He said, if a person goes into a deeply rapturous state of ecstasy, a soul-ravishing experience of the beauty of Christ, even so much that they have their natural strength overpowered. <laughs> Don't you love the language that he uses to say that somebody got blown up? We're like, the guy got blown up. Everts is like, he went into a state of rapturous ecstasy, a soul-ravishing experience of the beauty of Christ, even so much so that they have their natural strength overpowered. He goes, if that happens to them, it is not a proof that it's not a work of the Spirit of God. (laughs) I love that. What's he saying? He goes, if the guy falls in love with Jesus, experiences the power of God, and falls out on the ground, just because they fall, he goes, you can't say if they fell, that's not God. There's no verses for that. To the contrary. We see it in 2 Chronicles 5, verse 14. When they were all together, and they sang, for the Lord is good, and his mercy is endured forever. The glory of the Lord descended And the priest could not stand to minister. Well, if they didn't stand, what did they do? They fell. 
All right, last one. Finally from Edwards, he says this. I love, this is maybe my favorite one. It is no sign that a work is not from the Spirit of God that many who seem to be the subjects of it are guilty of a great imprudences and irregularities in their conduct. He said, Edward said, God pours out his spirit to make men holy, not to make them politicians. Don't you love that? I'm pretty sure I would have really liked this guy. Pours him out, he pours out his spirit to make them holy, not to make them politicians or make them, the point is, look good for everybody that's going to investigate. You know what? We know there will be investigations. People will stand at a distance and, and consider and scan. And whenever the Holy Spirit's poured out, we know that happens. That's okay. It's totally fine. Because we're just going to say yes to the Lord. We're not ultimately under the judgment of any man. We're under the judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, if, if biblically there are things that, that need to be addressed and, and shifted, I so want that. I want correction. I want to be shifted by the Spirit of the Lord, by the Scripture. But uh, we know for sure people will be perplexed. Some will be confused. I get that. It happened in Acts 2. It'll happen now. Some will be mad. I get that. Some will be convicted. Some will experience the effects of the Holy Spirit. There's a, an array of things that happen. And uh, we're just saying this. We're not going to be intimidated by what God does because God does what God does. We're not going to be intimidated by the way it affects people. We're going to allow the Lord to do what he wants to do and say, yes, Lord. And then say more, Lord. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. And I look at this... Uh, this, this historical figure, I look at Edwards and I say, thank you, Lord, for pouring out spirit in, in this day upon that man so that we could have a, 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 a basis or a baseline. I mean, it's just a well-thought-through scholarly approach to how to deal with the move of the spirit. You know, he went on to say this in another one of his points. He says, it's not, you can't say it's not a work of the spirit of God if some who are experiencing it fall away later. He goes, just because people fall away later or there was counterfeit, he goes, that doesn't mean that God didn't do the authentic. That is such a good point. So often people would discount something because the one testimony of the person that they were serving the Lord or whatever, and then they turned around and they weren't serving the Lord anymore. And now it's obviously the whole thing's not God because that one. That's just not true. God's doing legitimate things. I, I, so, I so appreciated last Sunday night. I'm standing there, and this lady, she doesn't, she doesn't come to IHOP. She's, she's visiting, and then I'm watching her, and she's looking around like this. She's just looking at everything like this. And I'm looking at her. I'm like, what is going on with that lady? And, I, and so I asked, I asked Hazen. I said, hey, what's going on with her? He goes, her eyes are healed. I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, we prayed for her yesterday, and her eyes began to burn. Now, listen to this. They began to burn, but she didn't experience any changes. She's, and I interviewed her later. I said, what was going on with your eyes? She goes, well, I got a flash or two of just being able to see clear just for a second, but I couldn't see. And so that was on Saturday. She got prayer and her eyes began to burn. And she said to Hazen, because another lady had gotten her eyes instantly healed just right there. I think we had five or six people with their eyes healed, just no glasses anymore. So beautiful. That's so cool, Lord. Thank you for that. 
So the one lady gets healed. The other lady, her eyes begin to burn, but no change. And so she says to Hazen, maybe I don't have enough faith. And Hazen says, you know what? You've got plenty of faith. The Lord's doing something. He goes, just continue to believe. Because you're fine. Just continue to believe. So she comes back the next night. Her eyes have been burning for 24 hours. She comes back the next night, and toward the end of the service sometime, it's 9.30 or 10, it's getting late. And uh, she looks up at the video screens, and all of a sudden she can read the video screens. Now, her husband said to me, she has Coke bottle glasses. Well, what she did was she came back Sunday night on purpose, didn't bring her glasses, believing God was going to manifest her healing that night. So cool. So I'm watching her, and she's looking around like this. I go, what's happening with you? She goes, my eyes, I can see. She goes, I can see people's faces. They're all coming into focus. I can see. And her husband's standing right there. I said, can you see his face? She said, yes. I said, would you, would you have been able to see his face before? She goes, no. It would have been all blurry. I can see his. She goes, I can see his beautiful face. I said, really? I go, can, can we test it out? She goes, yeah. I go, here, read this. And I handed her our prayer room etiquette little sheet that just says, hey, how to act in your in the prayer room. I said, nice, yeah. If I need to start over on that one. So she holds it out at arm's length. I said, now, would you have been able to read this before? And she says, no. I looked at her husband. I said, would she? He goes, no. She's got Coke bottle glasses. There's no way she would have been able to read this. I said, okay. I go, can you try to read that for me? She goes, sure. She holds it out here. She goes, Okay, and she starts real slow. She goes, all right, it says International House of Prayer Atlanta, and that's the big type at the top. So I'm, I'm, I'm just a little skeptical at this moment. I mean, help my unbelief. So she goes, and it says Prayer Room Etiquette, which is a little smaller type right underneath. And I'm looking at this. I go, oh, my goodness. And she goes, <laughs> in an effort to maintain the highest standards of health and safety, she goes, I can read it. She breaks down, melts down, crying. And I just thought, Lord, you are so sweet. And I hug her. I'm like kissing her. And I'm high-fiving her husband. We're like our forearms smashing and beating each other up. I was like, yeah. She's just weeping, and he's just weeping. And it was just so beautiful. You know what? If the outpouring of the Holy Spirit... Causes a few people to fall, few, few people to shake, few people to get drunk, laugh, tipsy, whatever. And hearts get convicted of sin, which I've had people coming and confessing sin and departing from sin. People get saved and bodies get healed. And people are falling in love with Jesus and they love the word of God. Man, I'll take all the weird, unusual stuff, stand me on my head and spin me around. I don't care, Lord. Just move in power and touch people's lives. We want all that you want to do. We're not going to limit God where God hasn't limited himself. Oh, yeah. Amen. Good. Let's just stand. If you're not too hungry for lunch, we'll just pray in a moment for the Holy Spirit to come. I tell you, our hunger determines the level of our visitation. Jesus.